This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Here we are, our second show in the year of 2019, and we're already feeling somewhat overwhelmed with the news cycle swirling around us. We try to get out of the news cycle on a regular basis on this program and talk about things that are not freshness dated, you might say. I think those programs may store better in our archives. Nevertheless, there's a lot going on. And wouldn't you know it, in the last week I put my hands on Dave Barry's look back at 2018, so we need to work that into today's show as well. When we last got together, dear listener... We were lamenting the fact that we weren't able to comment on the flyby, the New Horizons mission out in the Kuiper Belt, past the object which we've established, at least according to Alan Stern, is called Ultima Thule. And apparently all those folks calling it Ultima Thule have it wrong. We were intensely curious last week to see what it would look like when we got our close-up photos of it. (laughs) And surprisingly, now that we have, it looks like a snowman. I mean, it really does. It's a kind of a frozen snowman that's been out orbiting the sun for, they, they think, four-plus billion years untouched. We're confident that a lot more data will come streaming in. I think they're planning on, on the uh, New Horizons broadcasting for the next 20 months to get all of the data they gathered on that flyby home, safe and sound. We will make an effort to try and bring Alan Stern, the mission director, onto this program. We've... We've succeeded in such quests before. I do want to pause to note that we often project in the future things we like to do here in Radio Parallax, and, and the truth is we don't, we don't always get around to them. Yet, Mr. McMillan says, and I guess this is this a chance for us to ask you, dear listener, was there something that we said we were going to do that we never did that disappointed you? Uh, if so, give us a reminder by dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Now, last week's program, we described a beautiful site, a beautiful piece of scenery in the Bay Area. And Coily said that we were not going to tell you where that was unless you dropped us a line. And many of you did, including, I note with great amusement, our bicycling correspondent, Paul Dorn. It turned out Paul had actually bicycled to this area and was familiar with it. He couldn't resist taking a shot back at me for my um, disparaging remarks on the sport of soccer. He insists that my dislike of it is misplaced. We also received a small bit of criticism from a Gary who did not elaborate on the comparison but did in fact compare my... I don't know, what would you call it, pontifications, to that of Rush Limbaugh. He added that he did not mean this as a compliment. Well, there's no chance, Gary, we were going to take a comparison to Rush Limbaugh in a complimentary fashion. We have, on many occasions, uh, disparaged the great bloviator. We've always thought it was an especially bad combination that he speaks as though he is the world's greatest authority on this or that subject, while simultaneously demonstrating that he knows nothing about which he is speaking or next to nothing, or is just offering up some opinion that seems laden with hot air. Anyway, Gary, drop us another line and include more details. We'll discuss this in the future. In 17 or 18 years of doing this show, that might be the sharpest criticism we've received yet. 
So, how are we like Rush Limbaugh? Please elaborate. Now, I'm starting out 2019 feeling ambushed. Seriously ambushed. Not once, but twice. And I think each episode of Ambush will spin off several tales. So, let's pick one. The first comes from a trip I took up to San Rafael. I wanted to see the movie about Sacramento climber Alex Honold, who is, I guess, regarded as the greatest free climber ever. I'm not sure that anyone who watches this movie will think anything different. An amazing fellow. Truly, an amazing human being. Someone able to accomplish things in climbing that no one, no one would ever attempt. And part of the reason, perhaps, that no one would attempt it is that some of these things are crazy. Climbing El Capitan, free solo, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing, and it's, it's also crazy. Yet, as you no doubt know, he did it. That won't stop you from, I think, having sweaty palms as you watch the action in the movie. The overwhelming danger of certain maneuvers is made crystal clear to the viewer, and then you watch Alex go out and try to execute. And, well, just, you know, I, we give this one a very, very high recommendation. Check it out. Now, as we pulled up to the theater to see this movie, I discovered that there is a documentary out entitled Dark Money based on Jane Mayer's book. We mentioned a couple times in this, on this show that we intend to spend probably a whole hour program looking at that book by Jane Mayer. It's um, a milestone and certainly has everything to do with the political climate of the country that is what's happening in 2019. But I think what I want to do is see that documentary and then get someone to be my wingman because it's a complicated subject and we've got to find the right person to talk about it with. And Well, we'll probably do that in February. But it was sort of distressing to see a movie that's supposed to play at 2.15 and note that the last showing of another documentary you'd also like to see is playing at 3 o'clock and all that's, sorry, that's the last show. My understanding is that it is available on Netflix and that's, I suppose, where I'll have to see it. But the ambush took place after enjoying this spectacle of Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan by himself without ropes. And going back to the car, the car that was parked in the parking structure that advertised free parking on weekends. And yes, it was a weekend. And just to be sure, I pushed the ticket entering and it said free passage. No, it's free parking in the parking structure. So imagine my surprise when I got back to the car and found a $93 ticket. Evidently, even though you're on private property in a parking garage, the police or the traffic police, or I'm not sure who, goes through to check your car and... In my case, evidently the little tag on the license plate had been removed. In case you're not aware, dear listener, people will steal those stickers, put them on their car, and then not pay the registration. I suspect that's what happened. Either that, or the, the parking police came by and took the tag off themselves. Now, I realize that's a real cheap shot uh, accusation to make. But if you're a big enough weasel to go through a parking structure... And by the way, the ticket acknowledged that my registration was up to date. They, they could tell that. They obviously ran a computer check on it. But since the little sticker wasn't on there, they figured, hey, we could still get this guy. This happened before, years ago. The police warned me to cut an X in the sticker when you put it on so that somebody could not just peel it off, be it parking police or other scoff laws. So I guess we all need to do that now. But I'm not sure whether I can fight this ticket. 
Last time it happened, I still had to pay the ticket, and I still had to pay to get new tags. I guess the punchline is, if you have an opportunity to see a movie, don't see it in San Rafael. That was the second movie I I saw that week. Uh, A couple days before that, I took in Vice. Christian Bale's remarkable performance as Vice President Dick Cheney. I suppose if I'm going to bring it up, I should say a thing or two about it. It's an interesting movie. I recommend it as well. I believe director Adam McKay also wrote it. He gave us the big short on the big screen, the version of uh, Michael Lewis's interesting book at the uh, great financial meltdown of 2008. Christian Bale's performance is remarkable. And to my knowledge, almost everything you see on the screen is an accurate portrayal of historical events with you know a few liberties taken here and there. The movie added a few comedic touches, which I didn't think worked, but then I found out that Will Ferrell was involved in the production, and I bet he had a hand in that. About 75% of the way through the movie, they, they stop and roll faux credits under the narration that uh, Liz and Dick Cheney had retired and were raising dogs and everything was going well. And, of course, this predated the 2000 election where Dick Cheney got put on the ticket. They also had a scene about Dick Cheney's uh, heart transplant that I thought was an extremely bad taste. Oh, Mr. Merlin asked whether they have a scene that shows Cheney shooting the lawyer, which he believes is the only thing we've ever complimented Dick Cheney for. I'm not sure that's true, but, but yes, they, they do have a scene where he does shoot the lawyer. We did remark, as did America's foremost political comedian, Will Durst, that it was somewhat odd that after the vice president shot a guy... The guy then came forward and apologized to the vice president and his family. Then again, when you're dealing with a character like Dick Cheney, maybe that was a smart move. They did show how it was that Cheney engineered a way that the entire Bush-Cheney administration would have basically no record left for posterity, as a lot of the communications were done through the Republican National Committee and therefore not official government documents and therefore not subject of subsequent review by historians. Anyway, we may have a thing or two to say about that movie in the future. (laughs) Again, another promise. But I think we should, and I hope we do. I do have to laugh at the reaction to Christian Bale receiving a Golden Globes Award. And by the way, it was rather funny hearing the guy speak with his natural Welsh accent. But he apparently irked the Cheney family and uh, supporters and Republicans everywhere by thanking Satan for giving him the inspiration to play the controversial former vice president. Of course, this does prompt the following headline I'm holding in my left hand. Church of Satan liked Bale's speech. You just can't make this kind of stuff up, folks. I believe this, uh, this, this complimentary uh, message came from uh, descendants of Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, which was in, based in San Francisco. We talked about that at some length in our program, number 666, which we did dedicate to Beelzebub. Well, perhaps dedicate isn't exactly the right word. We would like to state clearly, Radio Parallax has no affiliations with the Church of Satan. As much as we do have to laugh at how they closed the message they put out, which was, Hail Christian, Hail Satan. All right, here's the second ambush and what it may lead to. Yours truly noticed a couple of weeks back, that I had numerous text messages on my phone, which were identified only by the phone number. I didn't actually enter in a name. 
I sort of went through, picked out about uh, about a dozen of them, people I thought I would continue to communicate with in the future, and I put their names on. I'm not sure the exact number of individuals, 11 perhaps, 13 perhaps, uh, I don't know, something like that. Within three hours, I went on to Facebook to discover that Facebook asked me if I wanted to friend the following individuals, which listed like 10 of these people. Now, that might have been a coincidence, a coincidence with odds of about a trillion to one. But what this means is if you have the Facebook app on your phone, Facebook thinks it's entitled to see what you're doing over there in the text messaging department. And hey, as long as we've got those numbers and we see that he's interested enough to actually name them, why don't we cross-reference them with our database and see if he wants to friend them on Facebook. Do any of you find this creepy? Mr. Millen is rolling his eyes to the effect of, what the hell are you doing on Facebook anyway? To that, I would quote from Jefferson Graham, writing in USA Today, who noted that despite calls for Zuckerberg to be fired or for users to delete the app, face it, said Graham, most everyone we know is on Facebook. There just aren't any real social media alternatives that compare. There's Instagram, but that's owned by Facebook. Writing in QZ.com, Hannah Kozlowska said, it's time for regulators to step in and make it easier for users to download their personal data and move all their information to new, better platforms, potential Facebook competitors. The circa 2018, or now 2019, equivalent of requiring phone companies to let you switch your carrier and keep your number. Right now, with 2 billion users, Facebook is too big to fail. Until there's a way of moving to competing networks, we'll all be resigned to accept Facebook as a necessary evil. This reminds me of a quote we've used in this program more than once, except I can't remember who said it. But the quote is, Don't forget when choosing the lesser of two evils that it's still evil. Now, according to one of our tech consultants, and yes, we have a couple, because we need at least a couple, the Computer Electronics Show, currently going on in Las Vegas, uh, is featuring Apple, touting the fact that uh, unlike their rivals, they don't sell your data. The ad is seen as poking at the likes of Google's Android phones and the fears that the Android operating system can be easily hacked and that personal information stored on such phones can be leaked to hackers or governmental institutions or apparently Facebook. Of course, I had to laugh in the article about Apple doing this was that the conference is taking place at the Marriott Hotel in Las Vegas, site of the security breach where the information from 500 million people that had used the Marriott services was basically stolen by hackers in China. Anyway, we'd feel bad if we didn't take a few more swipes at uh, the tech industry on this program. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of reading headlines like Amazon blows past Microsoft as U.S. firm with highest value. Yeah, apparently when these tech stocks, uh, you know, take a, take a dump, everybody is just, you know, they're permanently depressed. Oh, my God. Apple lost value. Blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about, let's not talk about what they make. Let's talk about their stock price. It's our contention that Silicon Valley and Wall Street, and for that matter, the oil industry, all seem to have climbed into bed together. We're not sure that's going to be a good thing for any of us. And we're happy to be able to contrast something else we didn't think was necessarily a good idea. 
that of concerts by dead people. We mentioned Roy Orbison, the hologram concert of Ray Orbison on last week's show. A concert conducted 30 years after his death. We note with some happiness that though it has been longer since the, the king, Elvis Presley, passed, which was over 40 years ago, but luckily for us, NBC is bringing back Elvis's concert, which took place, I'm sad to note, 50 years ago, because I remember that concert. Back in 1968, Elvis um, was suffering, I think, <laughs> probably his movie career, which did produce a huge number of irrelevant songs. Back at this point in time, the British invasion uh, had taken over America with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, etc., and Elvis was somewhat sidelined by 68. But the one-hour TV program, sponsored by the Singer Corporation, it was Singer Presents Elvis, is better known today as the 68 Comeback Special. It aired on December 3rd, 1968, and Elvis killed he returned to prominence and began performing for sold-out crowds in Las Vegas. In February, the network hopes to replicate the magic of, um, of that program with the Elvis All-Star Tribute. Unfortunately, this will include well-known performers recreating the original program, which we think is probably not a good idea. Anyway, it was a great success for Elvis in December of 68, which also saw that wonderful broadcast of the Apollo astronauts live from the moon. And frankly, if you remember the year 1968, you'll recall that we did need some mood elevation right about then. The Vietnam War was dragging on. Richard Nixon had just gotten elected in a squeaker over Hubert Humphrey. Humphrey, being LBJ's vice president, had managed to not say anything to offend his boss about how, what a fiasco Vietnam was. Nixon, for his part, promised the nation a secret plan to end the war, which turned out, in the end, to be, I'm going to go to the Russians and see if they'll help us out of this mess. And the Russians said, good luck with that, Mr. President. We're getting a lot of rice for each tank we sell the Vietnamese. We're going to continue. 1968 also saw the loss to the American public of both Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy, who was running as an anti-war candidate until he was shot down in Los Angeles, literally minutes after he'd gained a leg up for the Democratic nomination. Not that he would have gotten it, but he certainly had an excellent shot at it until he was gunned down. And we do plan to take a look back at that assassination of Robert Kennedy sometime in 2019. We enjoyed, on a couple of occasions, speaking with Bill Turner, former FBI agent who became an investigative journalist for Ramparts Magazine and others. Bill Turner and John Christian wrote a book about what happened to RFK. And, um, well, it's one I think I should talk a bit about in some future program. Bill Turner, sadly, has left us, and um, I feel very bad about that because I only read the book last month. And I've got so many questions for Bill that I can't ask him now. Uh, let's lighten the mood if we can. I don't think we have enough time to do Dave Barry's Year in Review 2018. Let's open up the next segment with that. We would like to thank Don for alerting us to the fact that um, there is a wonderful collection available on YouTube of the late Bob Einstein. I confess to having watched the entire three-hour collection of the appearances of Bob Einstein, better known as... Super Dave Osborne on the David Letterman program. There's about two hours of Super Dave on uh, 
on Letterman's NBC program, Late Night, and about an additional hour of his subsequent show on CBS. I would say that it's amazingly formulaic. I mean, it seems every single episode followed the same script. Super Dave would come out and hand a gift to both Paul Schaefer and David Letterman, and then and, and then they would much humor would ensue from that. He would then announce that he had a book he wanted to talk about. He would generally then read an anecdote or a letter from the book that somehow went south. And then they would cap it off with one of Super Dave's stunts. There are many, many laugh-out-loud moments. And we, we hope you'll find a way to, to check these out. When he did his stunts, which of course always went awry, Super Dave usually managed to extract uh, additional humor from the, the deadpan delivery of the announcers who were treating him as if he was some genuine daredevil stuntman. Mike Walton was the name of the fellow who was always sticking the microphone in Dave's face as he would explain how they, of course, they were, you know, the best in the business and, you know, don't try this at home. We're professionals here. Yada, yada, yada. It is, if I do say so, very reminiscent of the kind of interactions that took place between professional wrestling announcer Mean Gene Okerlund and whichever guy he was interviewing. Mean Gene Okerlund passed away last week, and although I am not a wrestling fan, I I must say that the way he would deadpan his way through these interviews with the likes of Rowdy Roddy Piper and Andre the Giant was pretty funny. The ability to deliver a (laughs) deadpan interview and discussion about things which are obviously inane with a straight face, well, it's something we do admire. Well, correction, we admire it when somewhere along the way there is sort of a tacit wink in the communication on some level that lets you know that this, this, is, this is a bit of a joke. This, no, this doesn't need to be contrasted somewhat with another person who's able to deliver deadpan assurances that are, that are just completely over the top in a straightforward fashion, implying that, you know, he's telling the truth when it's sort of obvious that he can't be. And I refer, in this case, to President Donald Trump. How many times did the president tell us during the campaign and during his first two years in office that he was going to build a wall and that Mexico was going to pay for it? Now, at some point along the way, and I'm not sure exactly how this happened, it turned out that, well, the American taxpayer is supposed to pay for it. We don't know how we went from Mexico to the American government, but we did. And so imagine the surprise both Mr. Moyle and I experienced when we watched the president's speech, wherein he explained to the public that the wall, in fact, will pay for itself. Now, the fact that he says these things that are obviously, demonstrably false, yet people continue to pretend that they could be true is just, well, it's a strange case of the emperor having no clothes, really. That's how we see it. And how about this? Apparently, our impulsive chief executive decided to pull all of our troops out of Syria after a persuasive phone conversation with Turkish Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. The Turks are apparently interested in going in and eliminating the Kurds who have set up shop in northern Syria on the Turkish border, and our troops being there will interfere with that. 
It should be noted that the Kurds, who did America's grunt work in routing ISIS, are reeling from the American betrayal, noted the London Free Press. But wait, hold the phone. Apparently, we're not going to pull all of our troops out of Syria. Yes, apparently we're facing a revised proposal floated by National Security Advisor John Bolton. After Bolton did this, Trump then tweeted a more cautious proposal and in the process denied that he ever said he was going to pull out. According to the tweet, we'll be leaving at a proper pace while at the same time continuing to fight ISIS and doing all else that is prudent and necessary. That was no different from my original statements. He then naturally accused the news media of inaccurately reporting on my intentions in Syria. All right, let's, let's take a break and go out with a quote from Steve Chapman of the Chicago Tribune who said, Every day Donald Trump gets another chance to expose his incompetence. And every day he seizes the opportunity. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. And we got plenty more. Stick around. Thank you.